Welcome to Expats on Air. This is a show where expats get together online and just talk. So we're here today with Grayson and Dan. Can I say Dan? Jalawai. Yes, All right. I won't say your last name. So Jalawai, you can find him on Douyin if you have a Chinese TikTok account. He's like a real KOL over there, a real key opinion leader. Well, how many fans do you have? Hundred and sixty thousand. Nice. Wow. Okay, so I'll let you, you all do well. an intro. How about we start with Grayson? Why don't you tell us about yourself? All right, I'm Grayson. My online handle is American Grayson. I stream on D Live with a show called Pure Politics, and uh, a lot of my content in America is political focused. But on here with Expats on Air, we're going to be talking about my China experience, and I li did live in China for several years. So that's uh, that's a good, my good intro. Cool. Dan? Yeah. Hey, guys. My name's Dan Jalawai. Uh, I've been living in China for about seven years. I'm from Connecticut, U.S. originally. And um, I don't know if I consider myself a China expert, but I do speak Chinese fluently. And I've been making TikTok, Chinese TikTok, Douyin, for about a year and um, doing pretty well with it. Cool. So how'd you get into the TikTok thing? Well, um, you know, I think most everybody who comes to China teaches English at some point, but um, we probably also all experienced the boredom and frustration of just endless, you know, washing machine cycles of classes over and over. So I guess I had the idea of teaching English through TikTok so I could, you know, reach a wider audience and also maybe incorporate some more creative uh, ways of teaching. And Grayson, you're a bit of a content creator. Do you want to plug your channels or anything like that? Yeah, Pure Politics, P-U-R-E, on YouTube. And then if you go to dlive.tv slash American Grayson, G-R-E-Y-S-O-N, those are my two main channels. And I usually cool. invite people to Telegram through those. And uh, Telegram's a lot of the same content, so. Cool. So, Dan, your name has some literal Chinese in it, the, the handle, so... We'll drop that in the description if you want to search out Dan's channel. Although if you're using the American TikTok, you won't be able to find him there. Yeah, I have a TikTok account, but it's not active, so not worth it. Cool. So you guys both lived in Beijing, and that's that's why I wanted to talk to you. I want to talk to some real Beijing expat boys. So when when did you all live over there? Grayson? Well, I think uh, twenty the end of twenty fifteen up until February twenty twenty. I think uh, I think that's about the time range because I remember I went there before Trump was president, and then I got back right right when the China virus stuff was happening. For me, I uh, first came to China in twenty twelve. I was still in college. I did a, like a au pair homestay program. Uh, 
Then I went back, finished college, came back in 2014, and been here pretty much ever since. So I would say more or less 2014 to 2021. Cool. And you guys knew each other in Beijing. So Grayson, you're, you're obviously not there anymore, but Dan, you're still in Beijing. How did you all meet? The the internet. I run a, I'm not sure if Dan and I met through the Pure Politics Political Debate Group or not. We did? All right. So I I, I run I run a political debate group in China, or I, I, it's still going. And it was, it's became notorious because we had a bunch of free speech restrictions in there of where if you wanted to have controversial opinions, you could talk about them and you could bring up these different subjects that were not being allowed in America. And you could generally just discuss politics without having to worry about being censored. Of course, we did have some clamp down on stuff like Fed posting or threatening to kill people. But with everything else, it's um, it's open, open game with the pure politics political debate group. And I think that's how Dan and I met. OK, just to pause for a second, there's, there's a lot of stuff you mentioned there that may sound familiar if you're, you've lived in China, you've been on WeChat, you know about all these different group chats that pop up and become really popular amongst, let's say, the expat community. Some of them are political, some of them are about travel or, or what have you. So, I mean, I'm in so many WeChat groups and I, I've met a lot of people in different cities in China, other expats, and actually, you know, made some nice friendships out of it, you know, meeting strangers on the internet. So you've created this group on WeChat pure politics. Oh, no, I, I didn't create it. I inherited oh. it from a British fellow, uh, conservative okay. British guy. And he really he really liked my passion and how much I was into politics. And so he just kind of gifted it to me. Okay. And then That's you said you said the key word Fed posting. Can you explain what that means? Uh, it's just basically Fed posting is when you talk about committing actions of violence. So that's that's a big no no. It's it, you can you can talk about revolutionary stuff. You can talk about history, but for Fed posting, you can't. We don't really like when people are threatening to kill other people, or asking <laughs> other people to kill other people. That's that's a big no no for political debate. We, we kinda don't really like it when you threaten to blow people's heads off. It's kinda yeah, a little yeah. uncouth. So why is it Fed though? I think that's just an internet slang that kind of went uh, comes from 4chan probably i'm not an expert about the origins of that okay i'm just asking you because i want wanted you to explain so it's it's basically the phenomena where let's say the fbi they're gonna bust a terrorist but then it turns out that the fbi set up the whole terror plot and found some weirdo who's not very smart they gave him all the equipment he needed to do the attack and he did it and it's essentially a play on that where the feds are sort of creating this turmoil or something or creating terrorism essentially so they can bust it so where it applies online is maybe they're in a group chat full of let's say right-wing people and they're in there trying to get people riled up and commit acts of violence so they can bust them doing acts of violence so we, we went off on that tangent that really has not yeah, much to do with yeah. with being an expat or wechat uh, so, should we explain to the to the viewers, you know, what WeChat is? I'm, I'm not sure everyone. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. I mean, I think for people who haven't lived in China, it's hard to. It would be hard to overestimate how important WeChat is, and if, if you haven't lived here, it'd be hard to understand how totally integrated it is with everything. Um, it's pretty much like every every app, or at least you know the top ten apps combined. So it's like 
you got you know a twitter like functionality facebook like functionality and then just a messaging functionality so you know people in china in america people still use text messages all the time right but in china people don't really use text messages they just use wechat if you meet somebody no matter whether it's a friend or you know business partner or whatever you're gonna add their wechat immediately and then keep in contact with them through wechat but then you also as i said you can post photos like a you know timeline functionality and then they also have payment integrated through it so if you want to go you know like use your wechat all the time to pay for things etc so it's pretty much like a what do they call it a um, multi-tool app yeah it's an everything yeah. app exactly and it's become it so ingrained like people do a lot of their purchases through wechat and um you go to a shop, 7-Eleven, you buy a drink, maybe using WeChat for that. And then it's become so common that a lot of shops are only taking mobile payment. Could be WeChat, could be another tool called Alipay. So then if you happen to say something controversial on WeChat and your account gets locked, you have no access to that commerce factor. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it can really mess your life up if you are, let's say you are Chinese, you have nowhere else to go. And you get blocked from WeChat, Alipay, you're screwed. I'm just going to give a little bit of a story. I had uh, a lot of cash. I like to use cash in China. And I never got into the WeChat pay thing. And I noticed that a lot of people, they really want you to pay digitally. But when you pull out a fat stack of cash, all of a sudden their mood changes. And the uh, the Chinese comes out in them where they want to bargain and then it, then you kind of get going. But if you don't pull out cash and that's kind of not a, a thing you can do all the time, then they don't want to take your money. They're, they're like, you got to do digital. Yeah, and I've been I've been locked out of my WeChat, I think, four times. I've been to WeChat jail four times. So it was a real hassle <laughs> if a lot of your work communication is through WeChat and you have like 16 group chats for 16 different projects with your job and if you can't get on WeChat you're left out of all of that so fortunately my team had to use WhatsApp to deal with a client because they weren't in China so I was able to still carry on my work without WeChat but it could have been really devastating if I wasn't in that circumstance yeah i'm teaching at an international school now and you know i keep in touch with my students through wechat every day i send them their homework just by sending a message on wechat and that's the i guess that's the other functionality is the group chats you know because i think like on, in america we have facebook but you don't really add people you don't know well on facebook but with wechat it's very easy to set up a group chat with a bunch of people who may or may not know each other personally and, you know, the group Grayson was talking about pure politics is an example of that. Like when I first got added to that group, I didn't know anybody um, in this group of 50 people, but it's, you know, a group of shared interests. So everybody's interested in politics and, you know, you get to know people through these group chats. Yeah, you don't really see that with Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp. But I mean, I would say you see yeah. that with Telegram, though. I find like there's a lot of communities yeah. in Telegram where strangers don't mind getting together with, you know, like minded point of views, that kind of stuff. True. And Grayson, I, uh, I went and checked the, uh, you originally added me because you're going to add me to a different WeChat group, News of the World. Oh, this yeah. Is, yeah, I got kicked out of that. <laughs> back in 2018. <laughs> and then uh, back then, I remember you were totally anonymous. Like, nobody knew what you looked like, but you sent me this, this photo of you. you oh, yeah. <laughs> so handsome back then. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the first, you know, glimpse I got of your face. Why were you anonymous back then? 
Well, I had I used to have my name and my face, and then as soon as I start talking about politics, a lot of trolls come out of the woodwork. And it's a lot like um, it's a lot like here in America is where if you hold the wrong opinion, all these people are going to come out and denigrate you and try to destroy your life. And they go after where you work. They go after your family. So talking about politics in the beginning, being in China, I was like, let's um, kind of not have my face on there because it keeps getting put into Photoshop stuff and everybody keeps trying to call my work. And when they did call my work, (laughs) lo and behold, the Chinese are very conservative. And it's it's very interesting though these these leftist trolls most of them are leftists which is interesting but these trolls come out when you have the wrong opinion and they try to destroy your life. Wait, so these were foreigners going after you in China? Oh yeah, yeah, other foreigners God. start talking about politics and everybody starts having their own opinions and then they get really angry when then you're not agreeing with them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If most of the trolls are leftists, but most of the trolls who targeted you would be leftists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good good observation yeah probably yeah because there i mean you could get problems with chinese people if you're saying something that's not politically correct but from the chinese point of view politically correct is you know following the party line that's political correctness in china whereas you're dealing with people with american left right tedious politics right oh yeah and with wechat they have a lot of free speech i've never been in trouble with chinese speech laws I've had uh, until I got to America, of course, I'm going to put that on there. The whole time I'm in China, I'm talking about politics every single time that I did get. They try reporting me. They try telling people about me. And every single time the Chinese are just like, duh, this this guy makes a lot of sense. He's very rational. Well, I, I have been targeted. There. <laughs> WeChat jail four times for speech that I guess wasn't safe for WeChat. And then I, I used to have some channels on like Yoku and Tudo, and it was a different kind of content. We could maybe talk about that later, but I've had plenty. I've been censored a lot in China. So whenever people are like, the Chinese internet's more open, even though we got a lot of that bullshit right now with, you know, Twitter mobs, and uh, I guess we have a lot of bullshit with the platforms themselves these days censoring and everything, but I'd still say it's a, a bit more free in the West. A little bit. Well, but I think you guys are talking about different content. Grayson was talking about American pol- political content. You can yeah. say almost anything you want on WeChat about American politics, no matter how offensive it is by American standards. The Chinese don't care. Likewise, you can say anything you want in China. I mean, in America about China, Americans don't care. But when it comes to the own, you know, their own countries, talking about their own country, then it's much more sensitive. Right? Well, if it's racist, they probably care in America. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> you mean racist towards Chinese? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think some people might have a problem with that. Probably a lot of people. Sure, but I mean, you can criticize, you know, the CCP. You can say whatever you want about Taiwan, all this stuff in China. That's absolutely off limits, right? What's do you know that old oh, Soviet, oh. the Soviet joke? Do you know what I'm talking about, Grayson? The old Soviet joke? No. It's like a free speech thing. Shit, I'm going to butcher it because I don't remember exactly. But it's like somebody's, some Russian dude is like, you know, I have free speech here in Moscow too. I can also, like, insult the American president at the Red Square in Moscow. Right, right. Yeah, well, anyways. That, well, <laughs> I, I kind of butchered that there. It wasn't very eloquent. Can't even, Say again, sorry. You can't even talk about Taiwan in China, and I disagree with that. Because I did have a lot of uh, conversations. Taiwan is a sensitive subject, but as its entire thing, it's not off limits. Like if you want to talk about the Guomindong 
and their relationship with 1930s Germany, the the National Socialist Party, you can totally do that in China. It's it's perfectly open. But if you want to talk about the National Socialist relationship with the Kuomintang here in America, I've noticed a lot of people try and shut it down. Can you explain what Kuomintang is? The KMT, they're the uh, Chinese Republic over there in Taiwan right now. Yeah, so that was the initial government that went over to Taiwan. It was just not the government of Taiwan. It's the government of China, Republic of China, but it was just exiled in Taiwan. But now they have a multi-party system, yeah. Yeah. Cool. You been to so Taiwan, saying, Dan? Wait, I just didn't quite understand. You're saying that you could compare the KMT to Nazis in China and they wouldn't care, but if you compare the KMT to Nazis in America, they would be offended or... Well, from yeah, basically, uh, from my personal experience, and it's probably not comprehensive, I never got in trouble in China for talking about the National Socialist relationship to the KMT, about how they provided them weapons, training, they sent uh, Nazi generals over, and even the retreat to Taiwan was orchestrated by Chinese generals who were trained by the Nazis who actually fought in Europe at one point in time. And then when I talk about this in America, all of a sudden I get these people coming out reporting me and uh, Twitter says that's not that's not okay you can't be talking about it and Facebook says you can't talk about it so that's just my personal experience that sounds about right <laughs> Twitter and Facebook these days yeah I mean when I said Taiwan obviously I don't mean anything about Taiwan but the issue of Taiwan's statehood or independence is one of the oh, three yeah. T's yeah. right Taiwan Tiananmen Square and Tibet those are the three that you're not allowed to talk about yeah, and if Dan's Zoom just goes radio silence, <laughs> it's because the, the party got him. He, he mentioned That's the three right. T's. They will know why. Yeah. Know so I, <laughs> I was talking to a dude yesterday who was in Shanghai, and he called in on Zoom. It actually worked. I was afraid the connection wouldn't be strong enough with the VPN and the firewall. It's actually looking all right. It seems okay. It's a bit laggy for me, but it seems not terrible. So you have to use a VPN in China to use Zoom? No, I'm not using a VPN. Okay. No, oh, that's good. So you haven't been to Taiwan? Dan? So... Who? Have you been to Taiwan, Dan? Yeah, I lived actually in Taipei for three months. Okay. It's a great place. It's kind of um, combines... Well, I don't know if I'd say the best, but combine some some elements of you know china and then they got the japanese elements from when they were a japanese colony and kind of you know it's easier for americans than moving to china i would say yeah how would you guys compare taiwan to china or the mainland rather um, dan you want to go first yeah i mean of course it's a western democracy so you have the freedom of speech that you're used to people use facebook Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, also culturally, they're just, you know, I think, like I said, the their colonial history is probably a big part of, you know, what makes them the country they are today. I think, you know, being conquered by Japan and being a Japanese colony, the Japanese really like set up a, a really good infrastructure. And I think that was a lot of what made them so powerful in the 70s or 80s when they were like one of the, you know, four, four tiger. I don't, I don't remember if they're the, one of the four tigers or not, but one of the you know, one of the most booming economies in East Asia. Asian tiger economies, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, 
However, I think nowadays, you know, they're, they're kind of in a economic malaise and they're just constantly worried about the threat from their much larger and much more rapidly expanding neighbor. So I, th- I just get the feeling, you know, even when I lived there in 2013, and I think probably even more so now that Taiwanese people are just not that secure about their future. I've never actually lived in Taiwan. Uh, comparing the two, I would say from what I've seen in pictures and videos of Taiwan, they seem a lot more Chinese, a lot more Chinese history is preserved there. And yeah, it's a lot easier to travel to. I noticed a lot of the music in mainland China comes from Taiwan also. So there's there's a lot more freedom and a lot more creativity from there than the mainland. You mean they're yeah, more to... Chinese than the mainland Chinese? It really feels like that when I look at the pictures and videos, because Taiwan has a lot of really well-preserved Chinese history. And then, you know, living in Beijing, the communists bulldozed a lot of the Chinese history and then attempted to rebuild it out of concrete somewhere else. And you got all these crappy buildings that are fake Chinese in China. Yeah, I mean, I think that gets to a really interesting question of what is China, because, you know, even the claim of 3,000 years of history, you know, you've had a, a, you know, a single country that has not been a single country at many points has been, you know, warring kingdoms. As you know, I think we've talked about it before, you know, most, you know, Chinese view themselves as Han Chinese, but that's also kind of a, um, not a misnomer, but a lot of Chinese aren't, you know, even, even close to 100% Han Chinese. So it's just the, the general question of what makes something Chinese in it. I don't, it's hard to say whether Taiwan is more Chinese or or whether the idea of chi- what is Chinese has shifted. Yeah, I used to like to okay, make yeah. this analogy when I was teaching Chinese students, like Chinese college kids, that like let's say Europe under the Roman Empire, let's say the Roman Empire just grew bigger and it never collapsed, and then that turned into a nation state called Europe. You know, that's what China would essentially be like it's all these different provinces different languages you know cultures a bit different north to south so that's kind of what china is that's right but there is that gradual unifying tendency like for example with you mentioned languages one of the saddest things for me living in china and learning more about the chinese language has been watching the patterns in terms of dialects that are just kind of inevitably being crushed by Mandarin. Now, Mandarin's amazing in terms of what it enables, because it enables people from all, you know, like, you know, I guess with your analogy, it'd be like, if everyone learned to speak Latin, the entire Roman Empire could all communicate with each other, which is great. But you also have all these, you know, places like Guangdong, for example, that have their own language, Cantonese, which is just being totally lost, because it's not economically advantageous to speak Cantonese. It's economic advantages to speak standard Mandarin. And so, and this is, this is not something new. This is something that has occurred through Chinese history is that the Chinese state conquers militarily, but it also, you know, conquers culturally by sort of forcing everybody to unify and become this, this monolith. Yeah. And it's not like it's just dying out because Mandarin is better for business. It's like, there's actually legal things going on there, right? Like you can't have dialects on television. Right, it has That's to right. be Mandarin. And, and in schools, and schools, I think, is the biggest thing that teachers are not allowed to teach in their local language. If you're a teacher, you, you have to teach in Mandarin. That means that kids in school are speaking Mandarin, 
no matter what they speak with their parents, if they're speaking Mandarin with their friends, that's what they're going to come to think of as their native language. Cool. I feel like I've a not, lot of that's I've, just civilizational advancement in general. Yeah, I've not done the show with two guests at the same time, so I'm trying to optimize this. Who talks next? You know, we're all kind of politely waiting <laughs> who's going to go, yeah, and I then could, there's a little delay, and then I cut you panda. off, and it's, oh. <laughs> we could We could launch into International Panda, and then Dan could talk about his Douyin. Yeah, yeah, so let's talk about, like, what brought you guys to China, and what, what did you do there, Grayson, when you went over? You worked at a company called International Panda. How about you get into that? Thing? that well, okay, it's a bit more complicated than that. I first went over to teach English, like Dan was saying. Most people get to China teaching English, but that was a terrible experience. I'm not going to lie. It was terrible. I love the children. It was great, but the company suck. So I started looking for a job in the next couple of months, and I got hired at this Chinese technology company. It's kind of like ByteDance, but much smaller. I got hired at LocalJoy. And I started doing overseas marketing there. I did, I did some other stuff. I helped design some of the games. I communicated with the customers. I did a lot of cool stuff there, because it wasn't just marketing. But I also had a lot of free time. And to explain that, Chinese expect you to be at work 10 to 12 hours a day especially if you work an office job. So a lot of the times I'd have my work done, I'd have everything planned out and I'm just hanging out. I figured I'm just gonna start International Panda. I have a, this debate group running really well and I'm gonna start writing about observations I make in China. And one thing led to another, I, like I just wrote about simple stuff, you know, uh, food in China. You go to a Chinese restaurant and they give you this really hot water and these really tiny glasses and you're sitting there and you have your little teeny tiny glass of really hot water and your mouth is getting dry and you don't want to eat the food yet. And then by the time it's cool enough, you take your little drink, you're, you're even more thirsty than before. And it's this endless repeating process. And everyone thought that was really funny because you go to a Chinese restaurant, they give you tiny cups of hot water. And then you're, I- you're Writing articles on WeChat, right? Yeah, it was an official WeChat account, International Panda. So when it got shared to people, it was like this. Uh, it looked like CNN, but on WeChat. <laughs> this is an official yeah. account. Yeah, so WeChat official accounts, the way they work, it's not like a Twitter account where you just tweet out things. It's more like you're, you're broadcasting blog content, and it kind of goes directly to people in their message, like inbox stream, you know, so it's a lot different from social media elsewhere it's kind of like a facebook page i would say kind of kind of yeah you can have followers difference. it it's just like a, a long list of articles that you write and once you get your account going and then you have this uh, history to look back upon yeah it's more like so a I, I got a little bit <laughs> i got a little bit infamous with my international panda because I started writing about uh, Chinese relationships, like the uh, Chinese wife is best wife. That was the first viral <laughs> article I wrote. And I took all these, some people took it seriously. It was a satire. I took all these stereotypes of what the Chinese think is a best wife. And I put them together into one woman and I wrote a satire article about it. And some people got really mad. They're like, Chinese women are not like this. And then other Chinese women are, are thinking, this is such a good article, so true. <laughs> And it was, it was just really funny, and it caught on. It got me a lot of a lot of subscribers for it. Well, how do you really like, feel? Are you are you married to a Chinese woman? I'm gonna discuss that with you after the show. 
Okay. <laughs> but like, like all good satire, it had a lot of true-to-life elements, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, because I took a lot of stereotypes, and the satire part was I took little bits of everything, combined it into one person. Like, no one person embodies all these traits, but individually, people embody a little bit of each one. So I went on, I made a sequel to it called Your Chinese Girlfriend Will Kill You, where I did the exact opposite. And I took all these bad stereotype traits that uh, non-Chinese expats in China would talk about their Chinese girlfriends. And I combined them all into this one horrible girlfriend, <laughs> all these different things of how they control you. They uh, take all your money. They try to get you to spend all, all of your money on their family. Uh, they dress you up. And I can't remember. There's a couple other things, but it was it was just a really funny article because it was mostly satire and it took individual traits and combined them all into one person, which made it made it pretty funny. And uh, yeah, I had a couple people. They messaged me on it. They, a lot of people were upset. A lot of people were thought it was funny, but some people messaged me on it and they said, this is very true. I wish I would have wrote this article. <laughs> and, these are Chinese people, and I, I just thought it was so funny that these Chinese girls are saying this is 100% true. Chinese girlfriends treat their uh, foreign boyfriends like crap. And it's just, it's very interesting being on the other side. Well, I think just a lot of these guys are, you know, they just, <laughs> they let their wife or girlfriend walk all over them, you know, so they got no balls. So, like, I mean, I know plenty of guys who have great spouses significant others in china who don't have these problems but i know a lot more who do have these problems i would say yeah chinese women really like a strong man i've noticed they they really like if you don't take charge they will take charge so they really like it if you're out there you're working hard you're taking care of the family just uh not putting her in her place but fulfilling your role yeah traditional traditional roles. Yeah. Dan, are you, you uh, married or girlfriend or anything like that? I am. Chinese woman definitely can corroborate what uh, Grayson was just saying. I think, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, part of it, well, I mean, I, I agree that there's a lot of traditional expectations for a husband um, compared to in the U.S. where who knows what the expectations are, but in, in China, it's very clear. I mean, I think it you know, partly it's just the economic structure of the society that if you marry somebody, you're expected to buy a house, buy a car, all this stuff. Now, of course, the requirements for foreigners might not be as stringent as they are for Chinese guys, but still, like, that's that's who you're competing against, and that's kind of the, the level of expectations that's being set for you. Yeah, and I think just to, to, to kind of look on the other side, a lot of Chinese women, if they are dating a foreigner, there's this insecurity that they may just go back home and this woman wants to get married they want to have kids they have you know obligations for their family their family expects to you know pass on the name they want a grandchild so if you're with this foreigner who's maybe not so serious and they just leave you and you're 32 and now you got to find a new husband you know it, it could really hurt your chances in China you know so you know oftentimes they expect this guy to give a bunch of money to the family almost as like a deposit like keep you're, you're gonna stay here and you're gonna take care of us and you're not gonna run off back to the US or wherever 
Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, certainly there are women in China who are more westernized and have, you know, don't have those expectations. But for the majority of Chinese women, that's going to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, I had a professor. A uh, first time I went to China was an overseas study abroad trip, and I had a professor, and he told the whole class basically, if you get a Chinese girlfriend, they're going to expect to get married, and if you have sex with them, they are going to definitely expect it, and you're going to have some major problems. And I noticed that when I worked in China, that that was very very much true. Chinese don't consider dating as a person to person jumping around kind of thing. They like if you start dating, this is the preliminary steps to getting married. It's not just having fun. This is a serious thing that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was Chairman that's pretty Bob. much the case everywhere. But it things liberalized, obviously, in the West, where it didn't become the case there. Chairman Mao said that uh, any dating which does not have marriage as its purpose is shualiomang. I don't know how to translate that. Playing at gangsters or something like that. It's like you're <laughs> some a dead red beat. book wisdom. You're a degenerate. Degeneracy, exactly. That's a great translation, yes. Yeah, Mao Zedong's an interesting character, especially in Chinese history. A lot of Chinese, they you can talk about Mao in China, I mean, within the limits, of course. And a lot of Chinese, they know what Mao did, and a lot of them have surviving family members. This Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward are within living memory, so a lot of Chinese grandparents experienced this. So this idea that everybody doesn't know about what Mao did in China with the, uh, can I say it? I mean, the, uh, yeah, the mass murder, the uh, starvation, <laughs> all of the political, political stuff going on. Uh, Chinese do know about that. A lot of Chinese are knowledgeable about specifics. And it, his, uh, his history, what I was talking about, is so complicated because when he did come into power, he fixed a lot of stuff that were leftovers from the Republican era. That when I read uh, a book called Ways That Are Dark, it's about a, an American who goes over to China, I think in 1910 or something, and he talks about the Republican era of China, it really seems like China was a lot worse off before Mao, if anybody could actually believe that. It was really, really bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole century of humiliation is not like just propaganda. I mean, it really did go from I'll turn it down here. Yeah. yeah, Dan, can you explain what yeah. that is? The century of humiliation? Well, um, I'm not an expert in Chinese history. At least I wouldn't consider myself one, but uh, basically so it's. Uh, well, you know, China has, as, as you will hear a thousand times over, if you go to China, China has the longest uninterrupted history of any civilization on earth, 3,000 years of uninterrupted history. And they had always considered them. I mean, the, the, the name China literally is the Middle Kingdom, Zhongguo, Middle Kingdom. They considered themselves the center of the world. And then they kind of had a very rude awakening in the, I guess it was the early 1900s during the Qing Dynasty, where the Qing Dynasty was really weak. And Europeans with, you know, modern guns and modern warfare techniques just basically came in and raped and pillaged China, uh, China had wanted to cut itself off from the rest of the rest of the world, but the Europeans forced themselves, forced them to open themselves up and agree to all these like unequal um, trading concessions and such. And so the the Chinese considered this century to be a century of humiliation, where like China had kind of lost its rightful place as the leader of the world and been humiliated by 
Western powers, mostly European powers, but also the U.S. as well. Um, and I think that's really important for the Chinese mindset, the idea that they are coming back now in the 20th and now the 21st century, uh, coming back from the century of humiliation to reclaim their rightful place. Yeah, that's kind of where Hong Kong comes from, too, is that during the century of humiliation, the, when the British, they carved it out as their own territory to ship in opium and take out silver, they needed a secure port and they needed to have it legal to legalized for the other European powers not to interfere. So that's where Hong Kong comes from. Yeah, yeah people, this is an unpopular opinion, especially here in America. And I understand why as America as America first having Hong Kong separate would make China weaker and it'd be better for America because we can manipulate them, their currency through that city state. But for China, Hong Kong definitely does belong to China historically and it should belong to China uh, culturally as well. So I don't support any of the Hong Kong protests that are happening. And that's an unpopular opinion here in America. And I don't support having an independent Hong Kong. I think it should be part of China. And it's it, the only reason it exists is because of a century of humiliation. So Grayson, put yourselves in a Hong Konger's shoes. And you're in Hong Kong, you grew up there, you enjoy freedom of speech and open internet. And let's say, the commies are coming in to take all that away how would you you're just gonna be like well we're part of china i guess we'll just suck it up and get on the vpn like all the foreigners do i, I really feel like the hong kong people they have this individual idea about themselves and they don't have a lot of nationalism or a lot of national pride they have city-state pride or pride in their city but when you come down to the superpowers and you know this is why i like being an american because we are the number one superpower on the planet and if we have people trying to secede, I think that we should fight wars to keep them in because uh, an America together is a stronger America. So I would say it's really difficult for me to comprehend what a, a Hong Kong person is thinking with that because I would be very much on the side of having a very strong national identity. And if that means being part of China, and if I was a Chinese person, I would wanna be very strong nationalist for my country. Would you extend the same logic to Taiwan? Definitely. Hmm. I feel mainland China and Taiwan are going to eventually reconcile the differences peacefully. I don't like any of the saber rattling that happens over there. I don't think it's constructive to have mainland Chinese officials in high positions talking about war with, with Taiwan. I, I really feel like because Taiwan is a democracy or a republic, however you want to describe it, a democratic republic, China just needs to continue looking at the long game and eventually Taiwan will vote themselves in to the mainland. Yeah, we'll see about that. I, they're not they're not very popular over there, the Communist Party in Taiwan. But, but they do have they do have a lot of Chinese loyalists, a lot of mainland loyalists over there in Taiwan that have the ability to vote. Yeah. Well it's gonna be messy. I mean I think I think China's probably gonna just invade in the next this decade, I would say it was probably going to happen. I'm not going to say it won't happen. I'm <laughs> hoping it doesn't. But you would say if, if China invades the U.S., you just let it Oh, take. no, no, I didn't say that. Okay, I'm very much America first. I'm saying from a Chinese perspective, okay? <laughs> that was before. I just want to clarify that. Okay. No, as, as an American, in all reality, if China does, this is why I don't want China to invade Taiwan. If China does start a kinetic 
conflict with Taiwan in some way, America does need to step in. They are an ally and they're a very important ally. Uh, that's kind of a, a stepping stone into the rest of Southeast Asian Pacific Islands. It's very interesting to hear you voice those two perspectives, you know, simultaneously or one after the other. Well, the first the first part was from a Chinese person's perspective. Okay, yeah. so I'm, I'm very much a nationalist, and if I was Chinese anywhere in China, I would want to have a unified country. Right, but then it's not. An, I mean, de facto, China, Taiwan is its own country, so you're not talking about nationalism. Really, you're talking about like a somewhat broader concept of the Chinese. What would you call it? Race? Or I wouldn't call Taiwan its own country because a lot of Taiwan, even though they have their own passports and currency, it's extremely reliant on the mainland for pretty much everything. But that's not really the criterion for, you know, like, I don't know, let's say we found that, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but if Ireland is very dependent on Britain, that wouldn't make it part of Britain. It makes it part of the UK. But that's not a country. The United Kingdom? Okay, I'm getting into semantics here. Yeah, well, well, I mean Ireland, not Northern Ireland. Right? Ireland is is definitely its own country, regardless of how reliant it is on trade with. Yeah, with, they didn't. I mean, Brexit. So Ireland is not part of the UK. So. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't get on the Brexit action. Okay, I'm interested to see how that works out because we can talk about it, but in reality, I wonder how that looks because everyone's talking about there's going to be a hard border, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Well, jumping back to Taiwan, I, I did a lot of business over there when I lived in Shanghai, and I'd fly over there like probably once a month, and I sometimes I bring a team member over, like another foreigner, like a European or something, and I didn't realize how much people didn't know about this Taiwan-China conflict, you could say, because they they didn't even know they had to change money. They're like, wait, I can't use R&B there? What are you talking about? Isn't it part of China? I'm like, no, they have their own currency. They, it's You're going to have to go through immigration when we get there. You know, It's like going to another country. Yeah, it's always amazing to me when Chinese people are so steadfast that Taiwan is part of China. I mean, I get it. It's the, it's the, it's the government's rhetoric, but just from having lived there, it just really doesn't feel like... They just don't. They don't think of themselves as part of the People's Republic of China, even though they are certainly part of China in terms of its history and heritage. Yeah, I mean, a ton of them would say they're Chinese, and that's that's the Chinese right. identity aspect definitely, of it. Definitely. Yeah. Nate, um, I don't know. Your listeners might be familiar with this already, but I would be curious to hear what your story with China was. Yeah. So I I moved over in two thousand eight. And before that, I'd been studying Chinese in college. So I started college in 2004. I was at a super liberal arts, one of the most liberal colleges in America. They didn't even have grades. <laughs> but but uh, I, I was really interested in going to China and working there when I finished college. So I worked my ass off in college. I learned Chinese. I went over there to study every summer. I went to Anhui one summer. I went to Chengdu another summer where I met my now wife. And then I went to Beijing for like a whole spring semester. And then after college, got an English teaching job in China in a city called Nanchang, Jiangxi province. And then um, after I got kind of tired of teaching, I wanted to be more career focused, career minded. I got into marketing in Shanghai in 2012 and the rest is history. So I'm in marketing now still, but in Texas and I left China this year. For good? 
or sorry, last 2020, last year. Uh, yeah, I would say for good. I mean, I, you know, I created this show almost to keep this connection to that expat lifestyle because I was also like kind of born into this lifestyle. My my dad moved to Taiwan and brought the whole family in the 90s, in 1994. So I lived there for three years uh, when I was in elementary school, went to Taipei American School. And it's definitely a lot different from China. It was, uh, I mean, it's very Chinese. We talked about how the culture is kind of preserved and a lot of that's due to after World War II, the nationalists, this Kuomintang that Grayson was talking about, they basically got a bunch of the treasures of China, cultural treasures, and just brought them over to Taiwan. And they got all the good chefs. So all the people who are preserving Chinese cuisine and, and art and history, you know, all that stuff was in Taiwan because it was getting blown to bits during the Cultural Revolution in, in the mainland. Right. But you think, but you think you're done with China, at least for this, this point in your life? Yeah, I don't want to live there anymore. Um, I mean, I, dude, I loved living there. It was, it was a great time. But I have a son. The pollution is just too nasty. And there are days when we just wouldn't want to take him outside. Like, well, we're like, we're not going to the park today. The AQI is like 200. So, you know, I just don't like that. I want clean air. I want more space. I want more peace and quiet. So the U.S. is really good for all those things. And I'm American. So, you know, that kind of helps. Right, right. Uh, Dan, this year, 2020, I've been hearing reports that China doesn't have a lot of pollution in Beijing. How do you feel that this year compares to previous years, pollution-wise? Yeah, it's getting better gradually. I mean, 20, I think I came in 2012, and I remember 2013 being like the worst possible winter, where it was just, you'd have, you know, a whole week that was, I guess people aren't familiar with the, the scale, but the AQI scale goes up to 500, right? And it was designed, you know, to measure the how bad the air is. I think anything above 100, you're not you're recommended to stay inside, and anything above 300 is just like toxic. And there was like a whole week where it was literally off the charts. It was above 500, where there's no longer a number to measure it, <laughs> and people were just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, back then Chinese people didn't really understand it, but I was just kind of like sitting in my home with the air purifier on full blast and praying for praying for the end. Yeah, and I was but in yeah, Shanghai. So it's, got, it's gotten a lot better since then. I was in Shanghai in that winter of 2013. It was so bad there, too. I remember it vividly because I'd be out partying or something, and you just look out at the sky, and it's brown, and it's nighttime. But you still see the brown. It was, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely, definitely seen some improvement. I think 2020 has probably been the best year yet in my opinion from what my chinese friends are telling me covid was they've uh... had they've had a lot of blue sky days well the chinese account blue sky days because they have so much pollution and <laughs> 2020 has had quite a few of them you checking if it's blue out there right now yeah unfortunately <laughs> it's not Today, today's a great day unfortunately <laughs> and sometimes when you look up you see blue but then you look straight ahead at the horizon and it's like white yeah it's, yeah, yeah. It's a really, if people have not been to China, it's a really difficult concept to comprehend just going out and in this environment where it's the middle of the day and it's just overcast, but it's not from mist or anything like that. It's gray and brown pollution. 
yeah, I mean, back in the day, the people that just were totally ignorant about it, they thought it was fog. Like you'd just be wearing your mask because the pollution was at 500 and people would be like, and talk to your Chinese friend and they're like, oh, you know, it's really misty, foggy day today. And you're just like, no, that's not missed. It's not good for you. You should be wearing a mask too, especially for the kids. Like you see the kids with, you know, this hacking cough. They sound like they're, like you see these, you know, eight-year-old boys who sound like they're 80-year-old men. Just uh, uh. Anyway, but I think the education has improved. Um, the government has stopped resisting, you know, actually monitoring the pollution levels and have kind of embraced it. It's part of all the, you know, Baidu map or whatever. And also the actual situation has improved since then. Yeah, it's like the uh, the Beijing cough. It took me about three months to get it. But you're living in the such a polluted environment. Everybody gets it. This uh, buildup of fluid in your lungs. And anybody who lives in China for an extended amount of time, and I'm not talking about tourists who go there for a week or a month. I'm talking about you know a year at least. You notice that everybody is doing this coughing and spitting thing, and <clears> just <throat> a lot of people spitting on the street. Yeah. So what was it that brought you guys over to Beijing in the first place? Like, why did you choose this place? You first? Yeah, um, I'll go first. So I came over for work and my study abroad program was in Beijing. So I figured, you know, I already know the city pretty well. It's been a few years, but I know people who live there. And when I lived in Holland, I also knew a bunch of Chinese there. Some of them from Beijing. So it was, it was actually a really easy city for me to move to because I already knew people there. Nice. So that's why I picked Beijing. For me, it was uh, language. I, uh, Nate, you mentioned you studied Chinese in college. I studied, I, I, I kind of, I studied one year in high school of Chinese. And then, you know, that, as you guys know, if you learn a language in high school, you don't really learn that much. So. <laughs> I uh, started studying it again in college. I had a lot of international student friends from China in college. So I started studying with them and then uh, I was find myself more interested in learning Chinese than in the college courses I was taking. So I took a gap year uh, in 2012. And I came to Beijing as an au pair, uh, which has kind of patience of kind of, you know, cleaning up diapers and stuff. But this is like a language au pair program. So basically I was like a, glorified live-in English teacher for this, you know, super rich Chinese family. And um, kind of like Grayson was saying, like, like, not because I already knew people here, but because of that live homestay thing, it was a super easy transition. Like everything was taken care of. And I was just having fun every day, like going out and learning Chinese. Um, you know, yeah, I wanted to live in Beijing because that's the most standard, um, or more or less the most standard uh, pronunciation of, of Chinese. So I was just learning Chinese every day and um, really enjoying the food and the culture. And uh, after I graduated from college, I, well, I met my wife back in 2012 and we kept in touch when I went back to the U.S. for college. And after I graduated college, I came back and pretty much been here ever since. Cool. That's kind of a special English teaching role. Like usually the English teachers who go over, a lot of them work at universities and they teach these huge classrooms of like 40 kids. So you're actually like a private family teacher staying there. That's right. And it was, I think, a, like a 
I, I couldn't recommend this more if anyone wants to go to China. I mean, you, you have to be like, I would say at this point, I'm probably too old to do it. But if you're 20 something and you want to go to China, look up, you know, language au pair, language homestay or something, because, um, because yeah, you're, you're, you're living with a Chinese family and it's like, um, I don't know. I, I, for me, it's, it has this like sentimental aspect of like, that was like when I was a kid in China, so, you know, I was living with the family and doing everything they did. And you feel like you're just almost part of the family. That's very cool. Actually, yeah. I, I, I'm a little jealous. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. What kind of when you were teaching Grayson, what, what, what kind of school was it? What kind of classrooms did you deal with? It was it was uh, one of those private companies that goes into China. So everything's really top notch. It wasn't like the um, like these other public school nightmare or these English teacher nightmare that they have going on. So I did have that and class sizes were about 10 to 12. So it's a lot easier to talk with students and a lot easier to plan. I just didn't enjoy the whole the whole uh, teaching thing, like the just teaching in general. You know, I yeah, like, I, I think teaching, it doesn't get enough credit for how difficult it is and how much energy it requires. You know, you're up there performing and in this day and age, everybody's got a phone and you're competing for attention from like 40 kids who all have phones in a classroom. How can you be more entertaining than every one of their phones and get everybody engaged? You know, if you care, if you actually want to make a difference in the classroom, you know, you could also just not care. I knew plenty of guys who didn't give a shit, would go in, they'd show a movie, they'd be hung over and like would take a nap and that was their class. That's, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm teaching at an international school now, and it's, you know, pretty exhausting. Like, I'm, like um, well, as, as Grayson knows, I used to work at a Chinese real estate company, and you were talking about, you know, as, they, as, as you said, they expect you to work, you know, 10 hours a day and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's very tough. But on the other hand, like, if you're working at a company like that, you know, you are still you know, doing a desk job and you can just sit at your desk and take the time you need to get stuff done. And then when you're done for the day, you can just do whatever you want. Whereas, you know, now I have five classes a day and I'm, as, as you said, Nate, I'm performing like in, in the classroom, performing, trying to get these kids to, to, to pay attention to me. So it's, I would say it's not any easier than the real estate job. Do you do a Gio Giolio? Now or back when I was working back, in real estate? Back in real estate. No, I was lucky that I didn't have to work on the weekends. You should explain that though for, for the audience. Oh, so so 996, Gio Giolio. What is it? Uh, nine hours on, nine hours off? How are they? Uh, nine, two, nine, no, to nine. Nine, nine to nine. Nine a.m. Okay, to nine, nine, nine to nine, six days a week. That's yeah. uh, what Chinese were talking about. Should be the normal work week. And that's a lot a of companies. 72-hour 70, work week. Yes, a lot of companies tried implementing it on a serious note because what the, the Chinese already have an official 40-hour work week, and that's the standard. But they also have this culture where you're expected to come early and stay late. So you could, you could work your 40 hours, but if you're not coming early and staying late, you're going to look lazy, and they're probably going to let you go for somebody who does want to work for free, basically. Go over their 40 hours and do, put in like 60, 70 hours a week. I would say yeah. a lot of those people, though, are maybe they are staying late, maybe they are coming in early, but they're not necessarily that productive 
during that oh, no, 12 no, hour not. day. <laughs> That's true. I think, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I have a hard time calling them. I, I would I say Chinese people are definitely not lazy. Like I, I find Americans to be pretty lazy in terms of, if you look at the average person our age, their work ethic. Oh, in general, in general, yes. I would say that in the companies though, because they, yes. they're at work so often, they often find things to do that are not work. Like they're lounging around or they're having fun. And it For makes sure. sense because they're there so often. But yes. I think that's what Nate was talking about. Yep. No, I'm For talking sure. about naps. I'm talking about screwing off, doing nothing. Because I mean, I worked in an office environment. It, it, people definitely didn't come early. People actually came late. It was, I mean, it's advertising and marketing. It's kind of how it is often, but they stay late. But I would just, I'd, I'd look at the productivity of a lot of people, and these weren't people on my team, so I, I didn't have much influence on them, but it was a lot of laziness, just straight up. But, I mean, that could be generational. It was mostly young people and, uh, like, fresh out of college. You know, maybe they just didn't have that work ethic that maybe a previous generation has. Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely this disconnect in Chinese culture between traditional Chinese and the young generation. I think Dan knows a lot about it as well that these these younger Chinese, they've grown up in a China which has had increasing freedoms, increasing wealth, and they don't know they don't know about what their parents experienced and they don't know what their grandparents experienced. So they kind of have this more lazy. It's like a lazy attitude of where they expect everything to just be given to them in a way, kind of like Americans. Uh, yeah, I think to some degree, but there is also a huge amount of pressure on them. As I was saying earlier, if you want to get married, you need to have a house, you need to have an apartment. I mean, a, you need to have a car, you need to have an apartment. So you see both sides. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, it's just that's the man side, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But a lot of pressure for women too to get married at the that ripe young age and pop out that kid. That's right. And don't you dare be gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that about China, how they're so traditionalist with the family and family is so important to them. And it's not that they don't like homosexuals. They just don't want homosexuals in their family because that means they're not going to get children out of them. And it's a lot of a lot of families to uh, it's just East Asian culture in general is having children is your purpose in life. You know, you go you can be great and achieve at your company and you could be an, art, an artist or whatever you want. But if you're not having children to pass on to become a parent and a grandparent, then you're not really fulfilling your obligation as a, as a Chinese or as a Japanese or in a East Asian, really. So if you guys could give a quick summary, let's say you're explaining what China's like to somebody who's never been and maybe this person has preconceived notions of China. Do you have like a special way of describing China, like in your own words, to somebody who's has no idea what's going on over there? It's a tough one. You go first. Oh, yeah, it is a tough one. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, first and foremost, I would describe it as polluted and dirty. And it's one of those experiences that you're not really going to understand or like unless you're there for a two pretty much two years at a minimum because there's just so much in china and it's so foreign 
especially culturally. So I would I would describe China as a, a land of extremes and hypocritical stuff because you're going to love it and you're going to hate it. And some days it's going to be amazing and other days it's going to be terrible and polluted. So it's you got to be ready for that. It's just going to be extremely hot and extremely cold and you're not going to get a lot of stuff in the middle. I think that's a very good explanation. Yeah, I, I can't uh, disagree with any of that, but I would probably put a more optimistic spin on it. I mean, I think if you're somebody who um, likes having your worldview challenged and likes, you know, having, well, as Grayson said, having experiences that it's going to take you years to really process. But if you're someone who views that kind of, I mean, it's a challenge, I would say. If you're someone who views that kind of challenge, as a good thing, then I think you'll probably do well here. Um, it's like you're coming to, as I said before, this is, you know, a culture that has existed so long and, you know, for most of its history is totally separate from the West. And you're just going to come to this place where, like, the deeper you go, the more you realize that, you know, everything is upside down from what you're expected to. Uh, from what from what you're used to and what you're expecting and uh if you enjoy you know trying to wrap your head around why people act this way that seems crazy to you then i think you'll, you'll have a good time here i want to i want to touch on that real quick yeah go that ahead. um china it breaks a lot of people and dan's met some of them if you're not really sure who you are as a person and you're not ready to have your preconceived notions challenged, then China's really going to do a number on you as a person. It's not an easy place to live. It's much. It's a very personal challenge. For sure. Yeah, especially if you're in a city that's not Beijing, Shanghai. Like when I lived in Nanchang, I would see a lot of foreigners break. They come in first year and they'd be out sometimes sooner than after like the full year contract which they had with the school. I've seen plenty of people bail. After the first semester, we go on Chinese New Year holiday, and they just disappear. They just, they don't come back. I've seen a few mental, like literal mental breakdowns. There used to be this dude named Don. He was a guy from the Netherlands, and he just went totally crazy. Like, my friend who lived above him in our apartment complex said he would hear, like, screaming at 3 a.m. It's like, who are you? What the fuck is that? I see you! I see you looking at me! Ah, like, you just this hysterical stuff. And then he'd knock on his door, and then he'd say, hey, what's wrong? And then the guy would be, like, sleepwalking or something. He'd be, like, looking at him with these, like, glazed-over eyes and, like, huh? Like, really confused. It was really bizarre. And then he started insulting the students. He started... He had really creative insults. He's like, you all are a bunch of dead animals in human skin like he would say really weird shit like that to the students he was not very popular and then he eventually was like on the streets and he lost his passport and the school had already fired him and the last i heard about him some police officer took him into his house to take care of him and then after that i have no idea he might be dead who knows it's a sad story I did. Yeah, we, all we did raid his apartment after he left, though. And he left a bunch of stuff there. And I, I got a bunch of documents that he had just left in a binder. 
and it was all these communications with you know those ads online that are like hot women in your area he oh, was no. res- he was in touch with a bunch of hot women in his area but you know they were they were mostly saying they're in the US or in Europe or in or some of them in Africa and he would write these like three page emails to them like i will i will fly you out to the nanchong international airport and you can stay with me in my city apartment he was like trying to glam it up a bit and he would just get really angry in every follow-up email. He's like, why aren't you coming? Why are you asking me to send you money? That's what the last one did, and she ripped me off. So he was—he had this like hope in his heart that one of these were a real woman who, who wanted to spend time with him. Wow. So I guess I'm just making fun of a mentally disabled guy. I, I probably We should probably move on. This yeah, guy obviously yeah. had a lot of problems. <laughs> You know, in in China, actually, being a white guy in China, and you said he was Dutch, right? So he's yeah. probably white. He was white. It's really it's really easy to attract women here, and not just Chinese women, because there are foreigners, but most of them Chinese, obviously. But it's it's like coming here to China. If you're a six out of ten, you immediately become an eleven out of ten. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it. Um, there's a lot. You know, we're we're used to thinking of. America is the land of the free, but there is a lot of ways where just culturally, I think you feel more free in China because you like, as, as you said, in terms of the dating pool, in terms of jobs, it's just, you're so enabled here. Like people, you know, want you to work for them. They want you to date them, et cetera, that it gives you a lot of freedom. And of course, as Nate was saying, if you have mental tendencies and those are going to be exacerbated by that yeah i mean i bet a bunch of people find out they have some kind of mental illness after they go to china like they find out they're bipolar or something you know a lot of people become alcoholics there too so i notice a lot of people they start out and they're normal functioning human beings and then they drink start drinking to cope with the high stress environment of china and then they don't find a healthy outlet for all the stress they just become functioning alcoholics until they can't function anymore yeah because one of the biggest challenges is just not speaking chinese because i spoke it and it made life so much easier and it's it's like you're able to see the real picture in china and if you don't speak chinese you're 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 like it's like you only have one eye or something you can't see the whole picture and every little thing in the daily routine is going to be a lot harder because maybe your air conditioner breaks. Maybe the neighbor's complaining that your air conditioner is dripping water on their hanging laundry and they're yelling at you or you need a repairman or you, you need just all these little basic things. And if you can't speak Chinese, it's going to be hell. I definitely agree with that. I think, you know, if I hadn't had the constant mission of learning Chinese to keep me here, I probably would have gotten discouraged and and headed back but it is you know like a never-ending mission as i was saying earlier to grayson before this started i've never read a book in chinese you know i i've been studying it for 10 years still haven't read a book so i you know i I, no matter how much time you put into it there will always be new levels and it's uh if you don't make that part of your life here then you're probably just going to get frustrated I have some fun experiences about getting drunk in China. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, man. Um, so 
towards the end of my time in China, I could feel it coming on with my with my uh, company. They were getting rid of all the foreigners as the last foreigner there at my company. And the Trump tariffs are really doing a, a number on Chinese businesses, Chinese companies, especially the tech industry, because everyone was afraid of what's going on with TikTok in China is going to happen to their Chinese company if they're in the tech industry. So a lot of stuff was happening outside my control. And I already planned on going back to CPAC. So it turned into this like this end party for the last couple of months of where I just show up to work and hang out and do what I was supposed to do, but nothing extra. Because I knew I knew what they were planning. They're they're trying to get rid of me. I was already training my replacement. And I'd go out on the weekends and I'd just get super smashed and ride my bicycle around. I'd get one of those um, rent a bikes. And then I'd yell at people in Chinese. I'd be like, and people would be like, oh, my God, what's this guy saying to me? So can you, uh, can you translate the, that? The, uh, the CCP is cruel and merciless, and they want to murder you. <laughs> and, I, and I just get drunk and just yell different stuff at uh, Chinese people at night while riding my bike like this. Just so you're like able to do that anti- in Beijing. That's, oh, yeah, a bunch of anti-CCP stuff. <laughs> and I never got in trouble. That was another thing. And maybe I'm lucky. I probably Probably mostly lucky. So, but those those are fun times because sometimes people they're just it's like uh, hearing hearing a swear word for the first time in their life they just they want to take it home with them and find a way to use it. Did you hear that a lot? The llama. Holy. Yeah, Well, anyways, I'm just playing with the soundboard here. Yeah, those are a bunch of Chinese swear words for the people who can't understand. Yeah, and they... It's variations of saying, fuck your mom. But it's it's like they have a lot of different ways to say that one insult. And that's pretty much the insult. Yeah, ni mara. True. Alright, so... Directly... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say directly translating Chinese swear words, it comes out kind of funny, like grass mud horse and uh, and your mom. Yeah. And some of it's like, it's fuck your mom, fuck your mom. But it's it's like two different ways of saying that, but they mash them up together. So it sounds really silly when you translate it to English. Hmm. I'll say you, his mother's. Yeah. yeah. Me mother. Or ni tamada, you his mother's. It's funny when you think that. <laughs> yeah, it's odd. <laughs> so Beijing, we talked about how you all would describe China to outsiders. How about Beijing, and how would you compare Beijing to other cities in China? I've never lived anywhere else. I don't have you know a basis for comparison for living elsewhere. Um, you know, I certainly visited lots of cities. I think. You know, Beijing has a reputation of being the most, you know, culturally significant. It's got a lot of museums, all that kind of stuff. And um, I, you know, I, I, I like being here because it doesn't feel Americanized. You know, like for example, if you want to go to Shanghai, it's going to be a lot easier to live there because you have Westernized food. You know, people might speak better English, all that kind of stuff. But uh, Beijing is kind of like the proud, um, you know, people who are sticking to what's Chinese. Chinese is the best, and they've been doing that for thousands of years. And 
they're going to keep on doing that. Yeah, yeah. I've never lived in any, any other cities either. I've traveled a lot of cities. I would say that Beijing is definitely a first tier city. If you travel outside the first tier cities, you know what I'm talking about, where roads are not exactly paved very well. Uh, the food that you get is really suspect. So living in Beijing, I would I'd describe it as being a first tier city. It's kind of like that anime Akira, where they live in the megatropolis. And it's like they have the normal skyscrapers and then they have like the extra large skyscrapers. And that's that's uh, kind of what living in Beijing is like, it's just an end endless megatropolis. All right, and then um, I asked you guys before the show how many countries you've lived in, and how about we go with you, Grayson? Can you can you just name them all? Well, lived in uh, that'd be just China, Holland, and America. I've traveled to a, a bunch more, but lived in is just those three. Okay. <laughs> I got two. I got two of those. So you got two, Mister Worldwide's, for living in two foreign countries. And how about you, Dan? Well, you know, now that we've uh, talked through the subject, I'm going to claim two as well, China and Taiwan. Okay, okay. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, we have to play this. I don't make the rules. I just have to follow the maybe, rules. Maybe one, maybe one and a half. I think that counts. See, you're, uh, I think that you're counts. kind of on my side now with Taiwan being part of China. Half. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's disputed. Right, what would you guys say is like the weirdest thing you experienced overseas or, or in China? <laughs> I'll go first. Dan's thinking, I can tell. So I'm on the subway. No, no, there's a, I'm not going to talk about that story because I have a weirder <laughs> one. I'm in, I'm in one of those shopping malls where they have like eight floors, the, the mega shopping malls. And where I'm looking, I'm with my girlfriend and we're looking at... Um, Trinkets, it's, uh, what do you call it? It's like all those fun little doodads and, and gidgets. They have no real purpose, but it's like stuffed animals and toys and and uh, that kind of stuff, a doodad shop. And we're looking around at stuff and she goes over, she's still next to me, so you can tell that we're together and she's looking at stuff. And I feel somebody grab my hand from behind and it's, it's like a nice soft grasp, like, like my girlfriend would do. And then she gently, she just gently lets go and I turn around and I look, it's this, it's this Chinese girl who held my hand on purpose and then just kind of nonchalantly walks away. And I can see her and I'm like, what the heck's just happened? This girl just really walk up and try to hold my hand a little bit and then walk away like nothing happened. So I like, I, I poke on my girlfriend's shoulders like, did you just see that? And she's like, see what? And she didn't even believe me when I told her. She's like, no, nobody would do that to you. So that's probably one of my weirdest experiences. Was it exciting? Did you feel, yeah, I have uh, a few uh, experiences about Chinese girls doing weird stuff. Another <laughs> one on the subway. This is the, uh, the probably the second one. Uh, subways are so packed that you just can't help but rub against other people just because it's so packed. There's no room for you to go. It's not because you're just a pervert? Yeah, it's not like in Japan. <laughs> not like the Japanese. And every single stop, the subway has to has to put on the brakes, and everybody leans to one direction. And I'm I'm like eight eight or nine stops away from where I have to get off. So the first time it happens, I just think whatever, you know, we're stopping. This girl leans into me. There's not enough room. 
And every single stop, she just leans into me more and more. And as closer we get to my stop, the more people are getting off. And I realized the last two or three stops, she's doing it on purpose where there's there's enough room. She'll just, she'll just lean her whole body into me every time the brakes go on and just kind of like feel me up with her body. And it's pretty obvious because there weren't people on the subway at this point in time. So that was the oh. second one, second weirdest one. Did you just ignore it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I did I didn't not like it. <laughs> maybe she was just cold. Yeah, maybe she's just cold. Dan, did you think of one? Yeah, I mean, I've experienced lots of weird, you know, public behavior. Mostly just the people like, "Hello, hello!" Like treating it's like they're so excited to see a foreigner that they use the one word that they know of English. But um, I think probably the weirdest thing to me that the weirdest behavior is when people, when you ask someone for directions and they have absolutely no idea, they just lie. So you're like, <laughs> well, how do I go here? And they're like, oh, and then you take their advice and it turns out they're just totally lying. Like, because it's uh, you know loss of face if you say, I don't know. So they just, and of course, the same thing happens with my my students, where they feel it's embarrassing to admit to not knowing anything. But with directions, it's just so baffling. Like you're just going to actually give someone the wrong directions rather than admit to having no idea. Of course, nowadays we don't really need directions; we can just use our phones, so it's less of an issue. I've heard people having that in Japan too. The same thing, where people just don't want to give the wrong answer, or they don't want to give no answer, so they just give the wrong answer. Right, 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 yeah. Do you ever ever have uh, secret pictures taken of you? Yeah, and that's weird when that happens. You, you look up and you're yeah. like, did you really just take a picture of me? And they, they try to do it in a really obvious way, too. They're, they're, they're trying to be sneaky with their phone, and then yeah. they're kind of like putting it right here. <laughs> like, I know what you're doing. I'm still holding just and asking. pointing it, but it's not right in front of my face. So he's, he's exactly, got no idea. Yeah. Okay, what's the weirdest thing you guys ate in China? Uh, The weirdest thing that I ate? Yeah. Uh, Either uh, pig brains or half a rabbit head. Centipedes? Centipedes? Oh, you went to that place. I know what that's talking about. Wang Wang Fujing? Yep. Yeah, that's that thing every food travel show if they go to China they always go to that street it's this like big shopping street in ba- in the middle of Beijing and there's a little snack street there where they have like cockroaches scorpions centipedes all sorts of weird stuff but it's that's not really what people eat in China right that's like kind of a tourist trap yeah that's a tourist trap although actually you know my wife's family they eat the larva and those are I cannot like the centipedes are not that bad I was I was pleasantly surprised by the, it was just like pretty tasteless, but crunchy, the centipede. Mm. Whereas the larvae are just like this soft, um, pulpy material that like, I cannot oh, get gross. used. But they actually do eat larvae. Yeah. yeah, they also just look really gross, those things. Yeah, they look so gross. Yeah, Chinese eat a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I've had pig ears as well. That's another weird one. And pig ears are usually for dogs. Here in America, you eat dried pig ears, you give them to your dogs. So in, in China, they're like, you want to eat some pig ears? I'm thinking, 
Why not? Feet are, are actually not bad if you get them done well. Pig feet. I've never. I know those are very popular. I've never actually ate them because I'm. That's the one step I'm not going to take. Hmm. And then the chicken claws. Like again, if they're done well, they can be not bad. I, I like the yeah. Hong Kong like dim sum style chicken feet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Those are good. Yeah. yeah. Not like the the white like you know tasteless slash vinegar mm-hmm. slash spicy one, but the the dim sum stuff, yeah. Yeah, I remember like one of the first times I went out and partied at a nightclub in China. It was it was in Chengdu, and they gave us you know a bunch of drinks like whiskey and some mixers and platter of fruit, and then like a bowl of chicken feet. Very it like Chinese. This, it felt so glamorous, but there was this like weird veneer of something else there with those feet. All right, dead air. It's, this is tricky with the two guests thing. It's hard to hard to keep the conversation moving. Sometimes well, I can keep talking. I do. Yeah, keep talking. I've been getting a lot better with my hour show, trying to hit an hour and going a little bit over. Because on D Live, the longer you talk on D Live, the more likely you are to get lemons. But with me, I just kind of monologue, and I'll I'll end up dominating. So I need I need you guys to feel comfortable with interjecting if I talk a lot. I'm very comfortable with interjecting. What are lemons? Lemons are the form of currency on D Live, and you can they can be exchanged for real money. Cool. Yeah. And you can check out Expats on Air on DLive.tv. Smash that like button. Uh, yes. Yeah, but you can see I have a D Live channel too. But unlike Grayson, I've I've actually not been live streaming, so I'll, I'll get there eventually. I wanted to do some of these shows pre-recorded. Um, Grayson, you just jumped right into that, and you're quite good at the monologue thing. I've watched some of your streams. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of uh, preparation. Actually, I've noticed for certain subjects like China, if I get on a big China rant, I could fill up an hour and a half because I know I know so much and like a lot of it's related to politics for my show. But uh, when it comes to other stuff, I need to plan out the what I'm going to do and have transitions into it, especially when I'm doing something and need to change subjects like we're talking about Mitch McConnell and then I got to switch it up to be talking about uh, something going on in the economy. You know, it's like you got to have a transition in there. Mm. So it's the learning process. That's how I describe it. And uh, yeah, I'd I'd like to ask Dan about his Douyin because 160,000 subscribers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a lot more than anything I've ever had in my life. What is it? Are you like super popular? Are you famous? Um, I got pretty popular. So my basic formula, my um, my gimmick, I guess you could call it, is there's a ton of really bad English teaching content on Douyin. I mean, I'm sure you've come across, you know, in person, like, like the really like bad Chinese English teachers. Yeah. Terrible pronunciation and, you know, they really can't even speak English and yet somehow they're teaching English. So these same people, of course, have found their way to Douyin and are making English teaching content, which um, basically what I did was I would use uh, these other Douyin, um, not streamers, but, you know, Boju, I don't know what the, what the word, up, up, uploaders. Uh, Accounts, yeah. Yeah, I would use their material to point out basically like errors you should avoid uh, in speaking English. So, yeah, the, and I, I think I, I only had one video that really went viral. I got, I think, about 
three and a half million views, and that was about um, is Chinese more difficult than English? People were really interested in, in the idea of whether uh, English or Chinese was more difficult. But um, yeah, just kind of built up a, a fan base from that. The uh, unfortunate thing is that you guys were talking about you know, DLive. You can stream on Douyin, but I don't have enough followers for that. You need 500,000 followers wow. as a foreigner to be able to stream. For Chinese people, you can just do it immediately. For foreigners, they have a requirement of 500,000 fans to be able to stream. And that's the only way to make money. You're talking about lemons. You know, you have the same thing on Douyin. People can send you gifts um, if you live stream. So yeah, that's my, right now I'm just too busy with uh, teaching to do it, but my goal when I go back to Douyin is to get up to that 500,000 mark and then uh, make money from it. Dude, I bet if you just start kissing Communist Party ass, you'll get that 500k in that live stream capability. Some people do that on Douyin, you know, there's there's that that one guy, um, what's his name, he's always... uh, that guy yeah yeah. i'm talking about i forget i know that guy yeah i forget his name too really annoying so hopefully you can avoid taking that road yeah don't kiss ccp but you don't have to demonize the ccp just like just just be honest (laughs) i hate people who are are foreigners and they're like i love ccp they don't usually say ccp it's more just like i love china so much like it's so much better you know in every way Uh, that's that's horrible yeah, yeah. God, there's Never this guy trust on a LinkedIn. foreigner who doesn't love their home nation. There's this sure. guy on LinkedIn who works at ByteDance, European guy, and he's always doing that. And he's just, and he's always getting into arguments about Xinjiang with people. And he's like, always saying like, hey, all they did was put a million people in camps. They didn't drone strike them. They weren't killing people like America. So that's that's like his, his whole thing about how China's so great is that they don't drone strike people, according to his knowledge, at least. I mean, who knows how many people they're killing over there. Well, this yeah. took a really dark turn. I didn't think we were going to be hitting <laughs> these type of sensitive subjects for China. Well, I'm not afraid of the Chinese censors. Dan might have to worry. Yeah, but, that's what I was uh, thinking about. I, I doubt it. I doubt. I mean, I, I, my, my basic rule of thumb is that nobody's going to watch anything that you do in English, but maybe that's overconfident. I mean, I know that like those guys like Sea Milk and Serpent ZA got in trouble, but I think that that's because they were doing interviews in Chinese with Chinese people. Oh, is that how they got in trouble? At least that's what uh, I think. Lao eighty six. I saw his video, hmm. and that's what he said. His, his particular reason for having to leave, leave China was okay. Just to give context to the audience, these are like YouTubers. Uh, Serpent ZA is a South African white guy, biggest YouTuber in China, and then Lao eighty six. This is Buddy, and they both they like ride motorcycles together. He also has a big channel, so they're probably like the two most well-known YouTubers in China, who are no longer they in left. China. They, yeah, they, they were like left. forced to leave. Yeah, they had some real problems. Yeah, yeah, they said their apartment got raided by the government, and they took hard drives, and they took their cameras, and that was the, the big event that caused them to leave. Yeah, well, they became I, really, you know. Especially serpents that they became really, you know, a target for the what did he call it the uh, Wumao, you know, the five cent people on the internet who just they would like you know try and dox him and all this kind of stuff, find out where he's working and kind of, kind of like what you said earlier with the Americans, but with him it was Chinese people doing it. Yeah, that that could be a real problem for me. The Chinese tend to agree with me politically, but for him, yeah, I could see that being a big problem. Yeah. You know, I told you 
the reason I left China was pollution. It was actually bigger than that. I was really feeling not safe there as an American for a while. Because, I, I mean, I got banned on WeChat a few times or, or locked out of my account. And I the you trade wars going what on. Happened. What kind of stuff I, were you posting? Well, the yeah. most recent one, I shared a meme that had, like, two feet on a crack pipe. Looked like it was giving it a foot job. It was a Hunter Biden meme. But it showed no genitals. It wasn't sexually inappropriate. But I think that was too sensitive because that whole Hunter Biden theory went into him being like a big stooge for China, right? So it was too sensitive for China. And it was just one meme, you know? So if they're going to go after my livelihood, I was really worried, you know, if if tensions rise between China and the U.S., I don't want to be caught in the middle of that. I don't want to be... I don't want to be like that kid in Empire of the Sun who gets put in a prison camp, that kind of thing, even though that was Japanese. But but still, I have this fear of being separated from my family, my son being taken away by these strange foreign government or something. So I really felt like I need to go back home I just, just for my long-term security for my family and everything. Hmm. Yeah, they would too. The CCP definitely would if tensions reached that point. So good luck over there, Dan. <laughs> yes, good luck. Uh, well, I'm, I'm an optimist. I don't think they're going to do anything crazy. Well, you know how they stopped renewing visas for a while, right? They uh, did. Early on. Yeah. I kind of feel that was a way for them to peacefully kick out a lot of the non-Chinese. Well, a lot of non-Chinese, but it's a particular, particular sector, you know, like, well, in, in the Chinese minds, maybe the less desirable fraction of the expats. You know. I mean, we kind of talk bad about uh, a lot of expats, but I want to put it out there that China has some really high standards to get into in the first place. You all have to have college degrees from a reputable institution because now they check that. And it's not like the old China. And you have to have a special document signed off from your municipality that you have not been convicted of any crimes as well. So. When people if they want do, to teach legally, that that is, there's yeah, still, a, I don't know about during Corona, but there, I mean, prior to Corona, at least there were still a lot of people teaching on tourist visas. Okay, well that's that's illegal, and well, everybody knows people does it, but it's not it's not a thing that China, China allows if they have a say in it. True. But what uh what I mean is that when everybody comes over to China on paper, they look like high skilled people, on paper. You used to be able to get away with the fake degree. I knew a number of people who taught in Nanchang and they didn't finish college and they had fake degrees, but I think they wised up over in China and they, they kind of put a stop to that. Yeah, when, when I had to go um, every single time, I had to go back to America a few times, but every single time I switched jobs, I'd have to have my university degree go through that recertification process for China. Mm. So, yeah, that's uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because we make it sound like expats. There are a lot of loser expats in China, but in order to get there in the first place, they need to look like a a high skilled person to begin with on paper. For sure. So one thing I like about being an expat is meeting a bunch of weird expats, meet a bunch of weird people who find themselves overseas. What, What are some of the weirdest expats you came across? Dan, um, I'm just thinking whether I can, you know, 
reveal their their names or not but i mean there have been some some well you meet you meet the weirdest ones are the ones you meet at wechat like carl i think probably everybody yes. knows carl yeah. carl What's, i even i even yeah, got him on the soundboard yeah <laughs> i don't like carl <laughs> yeah, with a passion for ex- getting drunk and exposing himself in wechat and in, in videos on wechat so yeah you, you meet the really crazy ones and uh, our, our mutual friend, I don't know, can I even say Maz, Maz, or uh, Maz, is, well, about that other Maz is, a, is a classic. I was talking about our, yeah. our, our mutual friend whose name also starts with an M, a lady, not really a friend of either of ours. Anyway. Oh, she's a, yeah, I think she's more mentally ill, to be honest. I, yeah. Is she, yeah, I is she Australian? Yeah. Yes. No, I, I know who you're no. talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Maz though, Maz, he might be a little mentally ill, but he's so spastic, he's fun, and he's he's like a loser on one hand, but he keeps getting all these awesome jobs. So I know, right? He's not as big a loser as we think. He's the real Mister yeah. Worldwide. He even yeah, looks yeah. like Mister Worldwide. So yeah, let's. I want to explain who these people are because these these are characters. Thing is, I don't know Den. I've never. I mean, I I kind of know him from WeChat groups, but this is the first time we've actually talked. Grayson, I know from WeChat. So both you guys are connections I made from WeChat. And you end up meeting these other connections. You see them in groups. Or maybe they're not even in a group you're in. But one of their videos makes it into your group. And that's where Carl comes in. So Carl is this British dude who has a lot of videos where he's yelling at the camera, saying things like... And he's showing his penis... While he's doing it, he's waving his sizable, pretty big, soft penis, and he's like slapping soft, it against yeah. stuffed animals. And it's doing all sorts of gross stuff with it. And that's the one that went viral when he was uh, raped that teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had one where he like really fucked with a teddy bear. He he has another one with like a like a dinosaur toy where it's like biting his cock. It's 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 a scene. So yeah, not everybody's a big fan of Carl. I think he's hilarious. That's just me. Uh, I didn't I didn't save all of his videos. The ones with too much cock, I didn't save on my phone. But I did save quite a few. And so what about uh, those other people? Maz. Yeah, can you explain what who Maz is? Maz is a Canadian. Uh... What is there? He's really like famous for being famous, right? He just thinks that he's like, you know, the best famous. He, he thinks he's the most famous guy in China. He seems to really believe that he's like the number one expert in China. And then there, I think he got famous because there was that one video where he was, where he got caught stealing from his school. And he was like so upset about it because it's totally contradicted his own self-image but uh yeah he just p- people became so obsessed with his life and he was so willing to like overshare the details of his life with all these crazy outfits buying gold just like randomly buying gold you know gold pieces i don't know how to describe mass he's an enigma very eccentric very eccentric he's on alibaba now he does alibaba live streaming so he's got in he uh, recovered from his last his last beating Maz, he'll get into trouble. So the thing with him, he'll get into trouble and like stealing from his school. That was one of the times he got in trouble and he got fired as a big setback. 
Then there was the, he got talked about in the Canadian media as a scammer before he even went to China, and that went viral, so that was another setback. Is that actually him? I'm just never sure if that's really him or not. Yeah, that's actually him. I went to the the link, I went to the actual Canadian webpage to make sure it wasn't doctored, and it's uh, Mazen Sawaf, poor guy. But every single time he has one of these setbacks, he just comes back, and now he's on Alibaba, so... I guess he's he's an inspiration for don't let uh, don't let a setback ruin your life. You know, you could still make it onto Alibaba Live. Yeah, so somebody's, somebody's going to make a movie about him someday. Inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me play this video real quick because I have a hobby where I like to make compilation videos of crazy expats and the WeChat videos that get shared around. So I'm just going to play one. This one features Carl, not his cock, but you'll you'll get the Carl experience. Paris just king hit me 20 times in the face for no reason at all. There he is. I'm going to get supported. This is king and the king right now. That's Carl. Carl. <laughs> we even had Ooh, the guy in there, the jungle genitalia. That dude, that dude Ooh, made it in too. That's just funny I remember. Who was, who was the guy at the beginning? Like British guy or I don't know. The, uh, He's Australian. His name's Josh. He he became kind of a celebrity on in the China circle jerk community. It was a community on Reddit and had WeChat groups that kind of stemmed out from that. And he was just this Australian guy who was always, I guess, getting in like, I guess he would always kind of ask for it. He was confrontational, and then um, people would start making fun of him, but he would kind of feed the trolls a lot, and then he became this, like, meme, essentially. And that was a video of him where he got punched in the face because he was being obnoxious or something, and some guy just started kicking his ass in a nightclub. You can see, though, how amazingly toxic. I mean, CCJ, right, and just... The whole circle is so toxic, but it's also like it's like the kind of toxic stuff where you like can't look away. Yeah, I, think I love the, it, uh, but I, I don't really like the mean spirited side of some of it. People say I'm part of CC gay, not CCJ. <laughs> so I'm not like a real CCJ. I'm a CC gayer. Well, the the CCJ crew is kind of like the people that China breaks. They come to China before they're probably somewhat functioning and they come to China and it just brings out the worst in them, their worst characteristics and their worst personality traits and it amplifies it. Yeah, it was just a lot of them are trolls as well. They were probably trolls back home and then it just it amped up a lot in China because there's a lot of fodder, you could say. There's a lot there's a lot of stuff that feeds trolls in China. Oh yeah, definitely. It used to be on WeChat. It was just so 
easy to troll people because of the group function they hadn't really perfected the i guess the administration like settings for groups so you could just join these groups of strangers and spam vile filth into their group and for some people that was their source of amusement and they would just do it over and over yeah now it's, it's, it's now horrible it's stuff like yeah. uh, rape porn, gore, feces. I mean, it's not it's not like laugh funny stuff. It's just gross and yeah, disgusting. I remember uh, when China Circle Jerk became kind of big on Reddit. This was like 2013, 2012, 2013. And there was a WeChat group that was creative out of it. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. There's a WeChat group. I'm going to go in and meet some of these people. And then I go in and it's like a hundred meat spin gifts like constantly just shooting into that group i just left i'm like i don't want to be a part of this it's just this is nasty yeah yeah i feel like wechat's really improved though with the administration because before especially like i ran some groups dan's ran some groups you have to be on point as the administrator if the wrong person gets in then they could just ruin it they could send a whole bunch of these and you'll have your members leaving so yeah, right. they would destroy your group and you have to be really on point and the administrator is legally liable i've never heard of any like actual prosecutions but i mean it was like made explicit that you know if somebody posts pornography in your group then you are legally responsible for that pornography which is illegal in china so i've noticed you need to be reported in chinese uh english language reports probably get ignored because i've never i've been reported i know i have but they've never written it in chinese Well, I've got it, but it was, I, yeah. I, I don't know who reported me, and I, I have a feeling that a lot of it's rather automated, like, they have some kind of content recognition software, kind of like on YouTube, if you upload, like, a popular song, they may give you a copyright strike, they have software that recognizes it, but on WeChat, let's say there's a, a meme that's not, you know, on the party line, it's, it's something that's not going to fly in China, maybe this meme gets flagged by somebody in a group somewhere, and then if I autonomously send this meme to another group, the system automatically picks up that visual, and then they flag me, and then my account gets locked. Do you guys know Bon Fing Fing on WeChat? Yep. Yeah, he's um, he found out that there's ways that you can get around the censorship by downloading something and making a copy of it. So it's something in the code. He's he's really expert at getting around the WeChat censorship. He'll oh, take videos yeah, yeah, yeah. that I can speak to that because I I, yeah. I also found ways around it. So since it's content recognition software, it's it's easy to trick. So do you remember when that Uniqlo sex tape happened in Beijing? Mm. This was several years ago, but there was basically a guy and a girl having sex in the dressing room at a Uniqlo clothing shop. And they filmed it and it went viral. People were even wondering, was this like a guerrilla marketing campaign for, for Uniqlo? So I was trying to share the video to some friends on WeChat who were in America. And they're like some old high school friends that I got on WeChat. And I was sending a video and I was like, hey, what do you think of this video? And then they're like, what video? So the video didn't even show up for them, even though I sent it and it shows up on my side. So it was like shadow banned. So what I did was I applied like a filter to the video and cropped it a little bit and that it went through then. It was fine. Yep. 
but they are getting more sophisticated. Yeah, just look at the translate feature on WeChat. If you have a picture of Chinese words, it'll it can translate and like change the words to English. I mean, I guess Google has something like that too. But that means they could read all the text on a meme or something and then flag any controversial speech. Mm. Yeah, Facebook actually does that. I've noticed uh, Facebook will auto-tag and auto-write out the speech on some of the my memes. It's really weird. Yeah. I actually know a guy in Austin, Grayson, who does the engineering side of all that stuff. We should go visit him. So, Dan, yeah. <laughs> if you ever come back to America, uh, let us native. Let native us know how to game the system. We we met in real life, and he came with me to crash Alex Jones Studio, the Infowars. So we we actually found his hidden studio, and he hasn't had me on yet, but hopefully he will. I've been talking with Tara, who Alex has a secret little thing for. I mean, he's it's weird when you start getting into this world, you know. But when you come back, we should all hang out and we'll we'll go crash Alex Jones again. It was pretty so crazy how you did that because you had a picture of Alex Jones in his in his studio, and you could see there's a window behind him, and you can kind of see the building opposite of where he's sitting. And you were able to get on Google Maps and track down that building <laughs> oh, complex yeah. from the picture. That's some that's some autistic magic right there. Yeah, it took a while, but I was able to do it. There's and a lot of misinformation we, online about where his studio is. Yeah, and we were able to actually find it. And Grayson, uh, well, we got stopped by some security guards, and Grayson was talking to them uh, off the cuff, saying he had an appointment with Alex, and they took him seriously. And it was the real deal. Like, we actually found the secret InfoWars studio. How was it? We didn't get inside, but uh, the security guards confirmed that it was the place and they were actually really truthful with me. They said Alex Jones just left. He flew out. I was like, oh, dang, you know, I missed him. And I find out later on he flew to Arizona to the place that I was going to pretty much when I got back from Texas. So I I went to see Nate instead of Alex. That's how I put it. So yeah, you come back to America, we're going to have a lot of these cool adventures. Excellent. You always have a place with us. Look forward to it. Hey guys, it's been an hour and 46 minutes. Do you guys have to go or anything? Let me know if, if like we're going over time or anything. I'm probably going to go have lunch pretty soon. Okay. Okay, so like another 10 minutes so we can wrap it up. Yeah, that sounds good. Because uh, I'm gonna, I'm probably just gonna drink and then play some games and <laughs> earn some women's. Nice. You, you gonna stream on DLive with the game? Probably. I'll, I'll probably watch some YouTube. I don't have any games on my computer, so. And then I also have this thing on my DLive where I tell people not to play video games. So. <laughs> <laughs> then they see me playing games. And that's a, that's a gaming like game streaming platform for the most part. There's a lot of like right wing political stuff going on in D Live these days, but it's mostly gamers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it funny. The last time I told people to stop playing video games, I get these messages in the group. And I think somebody's no, and it wasn't in the Pure Politics Telegram group. But a couple of them they were saying, Oh yeah, because you said that, I'm not gonna play video games so often anymore. It's like that's that's weird. 
You know, it just said video games suck, and now you're like, I agree with you. I hate my games. Yeah. Well, jumping back to China. Oops, sorry. You're not able to follow your own advice, or? Oh, I mean, no, I don't have games on my computer. Period. That's what I mean. I'm not able. I'm not able to play them even if I wanted to. They just don't. They don't exist on my computer. And I feel video gaming's fine if you do it in moderation. But people really got to look at how much time it's taking in their life and what kind of values they're getting out from it. Because they could spend that time doing other things. Like you, ch- you study Chinese, Dan, and I'm pretty sure you're not a big gamer. We've hung out a few times, and uh, we've we've never talked about video games. So. Yeah, I mean, I have an addictive personality, and when I do get into a game, I mean, really, the last time this happened was with World of Warcraft in high school, where I just like got totally addicted to it and was gonna take it was gonna take over my life. So then I just stopped playing it and never I've never gone back to it, even though I really want to. Actually, talking about, um, <laughs> I think it was on Twitch, I saw some some streamers playing World of Warcraft and had that feeling of like, ah, like I want to go do that, but I'm not gonna let myself. Grayson, you told me a funny story about the company you did marketing at, and that was a game company, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe this is where my anti-video game sentiments stem from, is this uh, video game company that I worked for. They did a lot of video games, a lot of app games, and they also did regular apps. So uh, they had a little bit of everything. That's why I call it a technology company, but I worked on the gaming side. And... Pretty much, I got paid to play all their games, and I would get really good at them. And I talk with the customers, and I design marketing marketing st- pro- programs for them, and do a lot of digital marketing. But uh, we also we filmed videos. We, we have some videos of me playing the game with my Chinese coworkers. We're all having a good time, you know. We're holding our phones and making it look like action. <laughs> when in real life, you just kind of you sit there and you play, but because it's a video, you gotta be moving around and get laughing and pointing at your friends. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of what I did. I did a little bit of everything, videos, uh, graphic design, digital marketing, and the company was a video game company. But didn't you, in the ads, it wasn't always the game that the company made that you're familiar with? No, Can this, this is that? actually, <laughs> this, this is out of my control. And this, I went to the CEO to talk about this. At some point in time, after I'd been there, I think two years, they started running these ads, and nobody told me about it. I found out it. I found out about it on my own while just checking checking the regular marketing stuff. They started running these ads for our games that had videos from completely different games in them. And then we started getting all this abuse. This uh, online abuse of this is not your game. Stop stealing hate China. And then they even like started calling them chinks, which got everybody else kind of incensed and got me uh, able to talk to the CEO. And ultimately what it came down to was they didn't really care that they were running different games, different game videos for their advertisements. They just cared about the clicks and they said, just deal with it. So this is performance marketing, Grayson. What is no, like the, the whole thing with performance marketing, it's like there's not much of a, a lot of the time, the companies don't really care much about the creative quality. They just 
care that they have a lot of variety of content and they shoot them all out to people and then the algorithms and the, the AI kind of learns which videos do better and they start feeding that to more people and they're thinking, well, if these videos do so well, sure, they're not our game, but they're getting us those results we want. So the, the marketers are hitting their KPI, they're hitting their numbers, but it's not really good for the brand at the end of the day. Yeah, that's what I was concerned with a lot when I was at Local Joy is they put their they put the name Local Joy in all of their games and you go on Steam, you go on the app marketplace and you can look up all the Local Joy games through that. It the if when we advertise in this way, when we were advertising this way, and we even had problems with other games of copying stuff directly from World of Warcraft, one of them, that we get this reputation as a company as a whole that we just, we're Chinese, number one, everybody knows that it's a Chinese company and they steal content and they pr they promote it with fake content. So it kind of, it bleeds over into all the future endeavors that they want to do and this really concerned me, but they didn't, they didn't really care. So it, that was frustrating. Dan, you ever deal with any shady business, like any of the jobs you've had, any kind of funny funny business going on? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can talk about it in detail, but I mean, um, you know, my the real estate company I worked for had projects in New York, and um, there was basically we hired a contractor in New York to to pretty much take over some of the projects for us because it was a Beijing-based company. And uh, it turned out that there was a lot of waste and inefficiency, and yet this contractor kept on getting hired to do more and more projects. And then um, it turned out that there were, you know, kickbacks and, like, you know, I had a coworker who was just getting paid by this by this company to to work with them. Uh, so very very shady. very ambiguous way to say corruption <laughs> definitely definitely corruption yeah I can imagine you have a, a lot of interesting stories that you can't share until you leave China Dan maybe um, yeah we'll see what's keeping you over there um, my wife um, you know she's she likes her job I like uh, I like my job at the moment, and just kind of feel like going to America would be tough for both of us. Um, you know, looking for new jobs. I think you know we're both used to living here, and at the moment, certainly with COVID, it seems to be the safest place to be. So, I have to agree with that. Uh, America yeah. has a lot of unemployment, and we have a lot of political turmoil happening partly why pure politics is doing so well so, i mean security wise safe safety and uh, job security as well yeah dan to 100 percent agree with you right. do you have kids not yet yeah that would definitely be a factor um you mentioned your son and i can i think you know if i do when and if i do have kids i'll i'll have to think long and hard about whether I want to stay here for them. 
But you got well, that how do you feel about Chinese education? Job. That's the problem. I mean, it, it, you, well, I mean, if they choose between Chinese education, which is very, you know, indoctrinating and not good uh, in a lot of ways versus, you know, international schools, which are super expensive. But you could get the free tuition, right? Since you work there. Yeah, in theory. I mean, this is the school I work at is only a high school. Oh. Yeah, I went to international school in Taiwan. I mentioned that, but also Japan. And yeah, the it's insane tuition numbers. But my dad was on one of those traditional expat packages, so the companies covered all of it. But you know, that was nice. another thing I was dealing with. I'm an expat in Shanghai, but I'm not on a package like that. I have to pay for school out of my own pocket. So I was sending my kid to a preschool in in Jing'an District, like near where we lived right in the heart of Shanghai and it was it was like 7000 RMB a month for half a day classes. And it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It was a it was a small school and it was it was mostly Chinese kids, but there was like there was like a little Indian girl in there and some other kids from around the world. But once he was going to go into proper elementary school, we'd have to drop some big bucks to send him to one of the, you know, the nice K through 12 schools. Yeah. Yeah, the school I work at now, the tuition is sixty-five thousand U.S. dollars a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's more than college in a lot of places. I know. It's crazy. All right, guys. It's you probably got to run, Dan. I think we can wrap it up. Is there anything you'd like to plug before you go? I know you did it in the beginning, but you may as well do it again. Yeah, you guys can, if you have uh, Douyin, you can find me at Jalawai. Um, and if not, then uh, you should get Douyin. <laughs> Douyin is Chinese TikTok. Yes. Yeah, and I'm American Grayson. You can check out my page on YouTube at Pure Politics, P-U-R-E. I go, I've been going to a lot of these DC rallies. I've been going to a lot of the state capital protests. So interesting videos and yeah, if, uh, doesn't, you don't need to be uh, politically minded on one side or the other. I try to be bipartisan, but it's definitely some interesting happenings hap that are going on in America. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on guys, taking the time. Happy new year. Yeah. Yeah. And... Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Grayson, for bringing me on. For sure. This one went a little long. It did. Very long. I could tell. It was longer than I expected. Dan, Dan's gotten a little sleepy. I feel sleepy. All right, I'm gonna cut it.